You're listening to Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, for your very best of health. It's a chronic and debilitating condition that affects around 2 million women across the UK. Research shows it's poorly understood and can take up to 11 years for a correct diagnosis to be made. Diane Hicks is from the patient support charity Endometriosis UK. While most doctors do a good job, there is still a level of ignorance about endometriosis, which is not surprising, but is disappointing. Diane, to help us all be more familiar with this condition that blights the lives of so many women, can you explain what endometriosis is? It's a degenerative condition where cells that are usually found in the lining of the womb occur in other parts of the body. Every month a woman goes through hormonal changes and naturally releases hormones which cause the lining of the womb to increase in preparation for a fertilised egg. And then if pregnancy doesn't occur, the lining breaks down and blood is released as a period. Endometriosis cells react in exactly the same way, except that they're located outside of the womb. So during the monthly cycle, hormones stimulate the endometriosis and cause it to grow and then break down and bleed. But this internal bleeding, unlike a period, doesn't have any way of leaving the body. And this can lead to inflammation, pain and formation of scar tissue, can form cysts and also I spoke in my introduction of how it can take up to 11 years for a correct diagnosis to be made. Why is that? There's a number of reasons. The first reason is that young girls are very often told that it's normal to have pain with period, so they may not necessarily go to a doctor. The major other reason is the symptoms can mimic other conditions. The other thing is that some doctors just do not know enough about endometriosis. Do we know what causes endometriosis and what about treating the disease? There isn't any one definitive cause, but there has been a genetic link proved, so if a mother has it, the daughter has a 50% higher chance of getting it. There is no cure at present. But there's lots of treatments that can help manage the condition, mainly hormone treatments and also surgical treatments. Putting you in the picture, this is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Every five minutes, someone in the UK has a stroke. It's our third biggest killer and the leading cause of severe disability in the UK. When a stroke occurs, every second counts. Yet recent research has indicated that just over half of over 65s would not call 999 immediately if symptoms of stroke were present. A cause for concern for the Stroke Association. Their spokesperson is Andrea Lane. Over three quarters of all strokes happen to those over the age of 65. And we know that acting quickly on the symptoms of stroke, acting fast, getting yourself to hospital can reduce your risk of dying from a stroke or being disabled from a stroke. So it's really important that people over the age of 65 and everybody understands the symptoms of stroke and knows what to do when a stroke presents itself. What are the symptoms of a stroke? We've developed a very simple acronym to help people remember and understand the symptoms of stroke. And this is FAST. This stands for facial weakness. If someone's face has dropped, arm weakness, can the person lift their arms over the head? And speech difficulties, is that person slurring their words or not getting all their words out as they would usually do? You need to test all of those three symptoms and if any of those symptoms are there then call an ambulance straight away. There are some very important drugs available in the market now that can treat a stroke and prevent death and prevent disability if they're administered within the first three hours of a stroke happening. So it's very important that people know what the symptoms of stroke are and know to call 999 straight away. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. 
PAD, or peripheral arterial disease as it's otherwise known, is a narrowing of the arteries and the limbs, predominantly but not exclusively the legs. The disease becomes more common as we get older and the incidence is rising. Dr Previn De Walker is a consultant interventional radiologist at Kent and Canterbury Hospital. You have various different stages of the disease. In the early stages you tend to get pain on walking, so you walk for 100 metres or 200 metres and you start getting pain in the calves or in the buttocks. As the disease progresses then that pain stops becoming when you're walking and actually starts even when you're sitting down in a chair and that's called rest pain and when that develops even further you can get cold white feet and eventually development of ulcers and gangrene and that ultimately leads to amputations. Dr De Walker I understand pad is the leading cause of amputations in people aged over 50 and it's one of the fastest growing and most pervasive diseases of our times. Who should be particularly concerned? The most common factor is probably smoking and diabetes. There are other factors that are involved as well such as genetic factors as well as poor diet. Now with the introduction of new smoking laws things have changed and the incidence of smoking related disorders has decreased. However there is a massive rise in diabetes that is becoming worse and worse. That's really what's driving the development of PAD in the future. The technology to treat PAD is light years ahead of where it was only 20 years ago but as with many serious diseases early diagnosis is key isn't it? If you're a diabetic or you're a smoker or you have a history or a family history of PAD or coronary artery disease or stroke in your family if you have these symptoms of pain when you start walking you should attend your GP immediately so you can be checked out and find out if you have a narrowing in one of the blood vessels supplying a leg that can be treated or at least identified to prevent it from developing any further into a much more serious condition. The earlier you identify the problem and the earlier you intervene particularly in diabetic patients the better the result is going to be. Putting you in the picture this is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Chronic constipation is a debilitating disorder which, if not treated, can dominate a sufferer's existence, causing a significant impact on their quality of life. Miss Karen Nugent is a consultant colorectal surgeon at Southampton General Hospital. Around 7% of women will suffer from constipation, probably up to 20% when they get postmenopausal. Men do suffer, but about half as many men suffer from constipation than women. Most of us will have that bunged-up feeling at some point in our lives. How do you define a person who lives with chronic constipation? As a medical definition to somebody who opens their bowels less than three times a week, they need to strain to open their bowels a quarter to half of the occasions that they go to the toilet and they sometimes pass hard or pellet-like stools. Patients might suggest that they have bloating, a feeling of lethargy, abdominal pain, pain in the pelvis and around their back passage as well. As I said earlier, my understanding is that this condition can have a significant impact on a person's quality of life. Do we know what causes chronic constipation? There are many causes. There are some medical conditions, diabetes, high calcium levels, low thyroid levels, Parkinson's, MS. But a large majority of patients will have constipation because of dietary and lifestyle problems. And many will just have constipation and there's nothing that we can define it to. From a self-help perspective, I understand that lifestyle modifications such as increasing fluid and fibre intake alongside physical activity might be able to help. What about the treatment options? Help with pelvic floor physiotherapy and different ways of using the tummy wall and ways of emptying the bowels. Other treatment options may include some laxatives and there are a variety of different ones that work in different ways. What if laxatives fail to work? For the last five to ten years we've learned a lot more about how the bowel works. We have many other treatment options available to patients and they shouldn't suffer in silence they should go to their gp and be investigated and treated further this is word on health with paul pennington new
advice based on recommendations from the UK Government's Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition says that adults and children over the age of one should consider taking a daily supplement of 10 micrograms of vitamin D every day. It's claimed during the winter months that we can't get enough of it from our daily diet and statistics show that one in five of us has low vitamin D levels. Dr Kerry Rushton is from the Health and Food Supplements Information Service. Vitamin D, unlike other nutrients in our diet, is two different things. So it's either a vitamin or a hormone, and that sounds kind of confusing, but we get more than 90% of the vitamin D in our body from sunlight hitting our skin, and then our skin actually produces a form of vitamin D, which then interacts with our kidneys and then starts circulating around our blood. And that is the vitamin D that is taken up by most of the cells in our body that use that vitamin. But we can also get some from the diet. So around about 10% of the vitamin D in our body comes from food which contain vitamin D, which are very few in number, I have to say. So, Kerry, what does vitamin D do for us? Interestingly enough, we used to think that vitamin D was just about bone health, and then we discovered it's also about normal muscle function, and now we're discovering vitamin D receptors on all kinds of cells. And what this tells me is that there are lots of areas of the body and health that we simply don't understand what vitamin D does. We know that vitamin D is vital for normal bone health, health. Vitamin D helps get the calcium into our bones. Our bones are a bit like a sponge, so they have this matrix with lots and lots of holes in it, and what our body wants to do is fill up those holes with calcium to make the bones nice and strong. This also applies to the teeth, by the way, and vitamin D facilitates getting the calcium from our diets and our gut into the bones and fixing it there and helping to maintain the calcium levels in our blood in a normal range. So that's really, really important for normal bone health. And you could have loads of calcium in the diet, but if you're vitamin D deficient, your bones will still suffer and become weakened because you haven't got that cooperation between the vitamin D and the calcium. Then muscles, if you don't have enough vitamin D in the diet, you can have weaker, poorer functioning muscles. And in elderly people, that can lead to falls. So maintaining good vitamin D levels is great for bones, muscles, and now we understand it's good for immune function because vitamin D is essential across many types of immune cells and helps them to work effectively to ward off all those colds and flus and viruses. And talking about viruses, what's the current thinking of vitamin D's role in COVID-19? Where we are with the evidence at the moment is that we know that people who have got low levels of vitamin D in the blood have a higher chance of getting COVID and also from suffering worse symptoms and having a higher risk of death. But what we don't know yet, because we haven't done the trials, is if you take extra vitamin D, will you have less of a chance of catching the virus and will you have fewer symptoms and a lower chance of death. One message that I'm getting quite clearly is that since there may be a benefit, why not just make sure that you're getting enough vitamin D in your diet since at this time of year we ain't going to get any from the sun. Talk us through the dietary options for vitamin D. We're looking at oily fish, which contains between 3 and 16 micrograms per 100 grams of fish. So that's kind of about 4 ounces. If you were having a portion of oily fish once or twice a week, then that is only going to give you about 2 or 3 days worth of vitamin D. So you've still got a gap. Egg yolks contain about 0.1 to 5 micrograms, but that's per 100 grams. So you'd have to have quite a lot of eggs 
to get that level. And you get a small amount from things like red meat. Liver is quite rich. Mushrooms to a very tiny extent. Apart from that, you're really looking at fortified foods. And for that, you want to check the packaging to see how much vitamin D has been added per portion. So you can see it's really quite limiting just to rely on diet to get all the vitamin D that you need. Word on Health. On air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health. Your personal prescription for your very best of health.